Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports Station. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. We just read you guys a report that uh, the Pac-12 is exploring expansion with the SM with SMU and SDSU. The man who authored that report, Brett McMurphy, joins us right now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. That's Brett McMurphy of the Action Network. Uh, Brett, we're so happy to have you. Uh, I'm going to start with just from the base of this. Are these talks between the Pac-12 and SMU exploratory, or is there something there between the two sides? Uh, certainly they don't get to this point unless there's some serious interest uh, from the Pac-12. Um, you know, I'm sure they probably, how this works with other conferences, and I'm sure the Pac-12 is no different. Um, you know, you get all the financial information ahead of time, you work through all that, and then once um, it, that seems like it's good for everybody, and then you, you know, develop that to the next stage, <laughs> kind of like marriage, I guess. Um, and so I think at this point, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Kriovkov is, you know, visiting SMU's campus, uh, it's usually pretty serious at this point. And the fact that, you know, the media rights deal is not going to be exclusively linear. It's going to have some streaming services involved and they need more inventory. Uh, then they're going to need more schools. And obviously San Diego State is the number one target. And then it would look like SMU, if they're going to go from 10 to 12, would be uh, the dance partner with the Aztecs. Brett, when I look at this situation, San Diego State makes sense. I feel like you have to take care of Southern California in some way if you're the Pac-12. But how does a relationship with uh, SMU start? Did the Pac-12 reach out to them? Did SMU reach out to the Pac? How did they start this this courtship? Well, I'm sure every school that's not in a power five league has reached out to every power five league saying, Hey, you know, don't forget about us. This is what we have to offer. And I'm sure SMU is no different. Uh, you know, the thing is they know the PAC 12 knows that, you know, as far as candidates, they, they're not going to get any current big 12 members. They're not going to get anybody from the big 10 sec or ACC to join the PAC 12, obviously. And so that kind of limits the schools you're looking at. I think the, what makes SMU attractive to the Pac-12 is, you know, it's either that or some other teams from the Mountain West. And nothing against the Mountain West, but SMU is in Texas. It is in the Dallas market. Um, and also, if, if it happens, it gives uh, a nice presence in the state of Texas for, for the Pac-12, which is huge for recruiting. Um, I have talked to Bo Pelini, the former Nebraska coach, about this several years ago, and he felt like one of the big reasons that Nebraska had struggled in past years is when they left the Big 12 for the Big 10. Obviously, they're making more money. They're in a better financial situation. But recruiting-wise, they were no longer in the state of Texas. They could no longer go down there and recruit kids because they couldn't promise their parents they would come and play in that state. And so I think Nebraska, you know, suffered because of that. So, you know, obviously the Pac-12 has a great footprint and on the West Coast, specifically the state of California. And then if you can also then go in and get kids out of the state of Texas, I think that would benefit the league as well. 
You mentioned in your tweet that um, this could be something that uh, will need to be done before a media rights deal is met just because it adds to their inventory. It adds to that revenue for the Pac-12. Would you mind, uh, Brett, explaining the relationship between what it means to expand and then the impact that has on a future media rights deal? Because the media rights deal is what we're all kind of watching here, but it sounds like the expansion may need to come first. Yeah, that's an unknown. And I, I didn't specifically say it would need to come mm-hmm. first or, or it would come first. But certainly, you know, look, Fox is not going to be part of the new media deal. They're, they're not. You know, anyone that says they are is mistaken. They're already locked in with the Big Ten, with the Big 12 and with the Mountain West. They certainly don't have any available windows going forward. ESPN obviously will be a part of the Pac-12 deal if both both sides can reach an agreement. I think they will. I don't think ESPN will be the exclusive partner with the Pac-12 because they quite simply don't need that much inventory. So who needs the inventory? It's the streaming services, whether it's Amazon, Apple, whoever that is. And so if you're going to do a substantial deal with a streaming service, they need as much inventory as they can get. And by inventory, I simply mean they need, they need games. They need content. So how do you get more content? You expand. You go from 10 to 12. If, if, if you could get an exclusive deal with ESPN and it paid enough money, I would stay at 10, to be very honest, because the more mouths to feed that you add, whether it's San Diego State and SMU, the smaller the pie gets cut up into more pieces. So you need more money to make sure that those slices of the pie don't get smaller. So that's where it's kind of tricky. Will the Pac-12 get their grant of rights deal done before they announce expansion? I don't know. I think the fact that they're, they're having these serious discussions with San Diego State and SMU, maybe they, maybe they agree to expand with them before they do the media rights deals. Maybe the streaming services want to know exactly who are going to be the additional partners, what is going to be the additional inventory or the additional gains that we're going to get before they commit dollars also Mm. i mean keep in mind when these media networks whether it's streaming services espn fox whoever you know they will they will simply talk with the conferences and say okay if you're at if you're at 10 schools this is how much money we're going to pay you if you're at 12 schools this is how much money we're going to pay you if we're at 14 you're at 14 schools this is how much money we're going to have to pay you and then the conference has to decide what's the better deal for them and also the, the networks will also, you know, they will designate that if it's a power five school or not a power five school, whether it's worth more or less. And obviously, if, if it's you're adding power five schools like the SEC did with Texas and Oklahoma, it's going to be worth more than if you don't add power five schools like the Pac-12 is doing with San Diego State and SMU. Is there an advantage? I read something, maybe it was in your article that that said five years from now. Uh, UA, we should expect that most games are going to be streamed. There's going to be some type of streaming deal going on. Is there an advantage for the Pac-12 to get into the stream game heavily now if it, if it makes sense financially? Is there an advantage to getting ahead of the curve? Well, there's, no, there's, like, there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, when we get five years down the road, then we'll say, oh, wow, that was really a smart move or really that was a dumb move. There's really no, there's no way you can predict that. The, the the positives for getting a streaming service is it's available to everyone. You know, you can 
Anyone can get Amazon. Anyone can get Apple. The negatives are you've got to you've got to pay for that. I don't know how you know. Is that a detriment for some people? Maybe for some people, maybe not. Probably the biggest negative, though, and it's, I'm not specifically to the Pac-12, just streaming services in general, is on that on that Saturday when you've got all those games going on, you don't have the drumbeat all day on Fox. You don't have the drumbeat all day on ESPN. Uh, coming up later today, you've got this game and this game. Um, there's also the fear that, you know, when the NHL wasn't on ESPN, you know, I don't know if you guys follow hockey at all, but ESPN basically ignored the NHL. They didn't cover it because why? Not that it was a lesser sport because they weren't broadcasting any of the games. So they didn't want to promote other networks by doing a lot of NHL. Now that they have NHL games, you see highlights every day. So there's the fear that if you go to a streaming service, you're not going to get that constant drumbeat from the from the Foxes, from the CBS, from the ESPN about coming on later today is this game. That's why the pack, the, excuse me, the Big Ten deal, you know, done by Kevin Warren, the former commissioner, was so brilliant because you will have Fox promoting a game on another network because it's a Big Ten game. You'll have CBS promoting a game on another network because it's part of the Big Ten package. So you're always going to get that promotion. With the streaming service, anyone will be able to watch it. You can go click on and watch it, but it's kind of like going in and watching, you know, Yellowstone. You're going to see it on demand, but you're not going to, you're not going to get anyone else to promote that show or that game. So you could get more money potentially, but is it worth the amount of promotion that you're not going to get by being on a traditional linear network, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with college football insider Brett McMurphy of the Action Network right now. Um, Brett, we were wondering earlier in our conversation how Gonzaga kind of fits into this realignment conversation. Um, where do you think they fit? You know, that's going to be tricky. I think, you know, I think there is levels of interest in Gonzaga from the Pac-12, from the Big 12. Um, the I think both of those conferences, though, kind of want to figure out what their immediate questions for the Pac-12. It's, you know, are we going to expand, you know, full membership with San Diego State and SMU for the Big 12? It's trying to figure out, is OU and Texas going to leave a year early? Or are they going to stay in for two more years? I think once either or both of those conferences figure that out, then I think they would move on and become more serious with Gonzaga if A, that's what those conferences want to do, and more importantly, B, if that's what Gonzaga wants to do. I, I'll be honest, I don't know. Would Gonzaga join a conference as a basketball-only member and then put their other sports in another conference? I don't have that answer. Um, I, you know, I know, you know geography is kind of out the window with conference realignment now. I think the Big East would be a great fit for Gonzaga basketball, but where are you going to put your other sports? Uh, does Gonzaga only want to join the Pac-12 or the Big 12 as an all-sport member? I don't know the answer to that. You know, I know in that situation, the Pac-12 obviously would make more, much more sense geography-wise, where the Big 12, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of weird to, you know, have Gonzaga as full members in a conference that stretches all the way to West Virginia and Florida. But again, as we saw with USC and UCLA to the Big 10, I think anything's possible I think nothing will happen in the immediate future until kind of the Big 12 and Pac-12 
kind of figure out their immediate questions or challenges, if you will. And also, you know, Gonzaga may be happy where they're at. You know, that's another thing to take into consideration. Brett, I don't know how how closely you follow SMU. I'm just looking at them on paper. I look at them and I, and I go, look, this offense was a top 14 offense. I believe they're number seven in the country when it comes to tossing the ball across the yard. Then I look at the recruiting class. They got 17 three stars. That's more than Cal. That's up there with Washington State. If they were to join this conference, do we just expect them to be bottom feeders for the first few years, or do you feel like there's enough in their recruiting class, what they got going on, for them to come over and actually be competitive? No, I think they'd be competitive right away. I mean, they've had, you know, they've had winning seasons in five of the last six years. Obviously, Sonny Dykes was there before he went to TCU. Rhett Lashley, you know, they had a winning record last year, lost, uh, lost in the New Mexico Bowl, though, to BYU. But no, I think I think they would. Um, I'm not saying they're going to compete for a conference championship, but I think they would be. I think they would be middle of the pack right away. And also keep in mind, um, I think this will be the same case with BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. Is is these schools that are just below the Power Five level? Um, you know, Cincinnati obviously showed it getting the college football playoff a couple of years ago. Once they have the Power Power Five resources. Once they have that additional media revenue that they'll get, you know, because, um, you know, they're getting, they'll double, maybe triple what they got in the American by going to the PAC 12. Um, once they have those resources, you know, I, it's the sky's the limit. So I don't think they're going to come in and be like a, you know, seller dweller for the first couple of years. I would expect SMU and, you know, look, San Diego state, you guys know this, They've dominated the Pac-12 in non-conference play. And football, I would argue they'd be near the top of, of basketball, which I know basketball is not as important. But, yeah, I would expect both teams to come in and, and be very competitive. I don't think it would take them a number of years to kind of build up, if you will, because specifically with San Diego State, they've already showed they can handle, they can handle the Pac-12, especially uh, you know, in the non-conference football uh, schedule. All right, he is Brett McMurphy, college football insider for the Action Network. Kind enough to join us to talk about a potential Pac-12 expansion. Make sure you're reading his coverage of this. That was his report that we referenced earlier this morning. Brett, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, thank you, guys. This hour of Bump and Stacy's brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Quickly going to remind you guys that you can listen to us anytime and check back in on the rest of the show if you miss it by subscribing to the Bump and Stacy podcast. That's wherever you get your pods. Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review if you do subscribe. Let's get to Four Down Territory. This is Four Down Territory. Going inside the game. What former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down bump, the NFL Combine will take place on February 28th. Why do you love and hate this event? Man, I, I, one, I, I hate it because I didn't get invited and Rude. I let the conference and receptions. What y'all doing? But a re, another reason why I love it. Let me get back to the love. I have sure. to start with a little bit of hate. <laughs> Fair. Here comes some love. Because I love seeing these young athletes test. I love seeing who's the fastest, who has the most crisp routes, hands, the bench press, 225. I love seeing big boys knock out 50 of them things. I can only put a 14 back in my day. I like seeing the broad jump, just how athletic these dudes are. But that's the same reason why I hate this thing, because there's a guy who will have a great broad jump, a huge vertical, a 40 time, 
did nothing really for his team. He's just a big 6'6-something DN, and he's going to get more looks than the next guy. And also the 40. The 40 is a, is a good way to measure guys' speed and see where you're going to separate the money. Cam Chancellor ran a 4'6'9". They said he was slow. Four-time Pro Bowler. Anquan Bolden ran a 4'7'1". They said he was slow. I don't know if he's a, a Hall of Famer. I meant uh, maybe Hall of Famer. I don't know. I don't know about Anquan's numbers. Antonio Brown ran a 4-5-6. You see him on the football field. He looks like he's running a 4-3. And then John Ross, who had okay. the fastest We don't need, to, we don't need 40, to mention John Ross. Ran a 4-2-2. Granted, he did <laughs> go for dogs. like... And he and he did. He got drafted. And he that's got, something that a lot of people have not done. But you know what? He did have a great senior year. He had like, what, 10-plus touchdowns. He did. Over go a thousand yards. But, <laughs> Unironically. But he kind of fizzled out. I just look at the 40 and I go, there's too much thought put in this thing. Put on the film and see if these guys can play some football. I love the NFL combine just because I love seeing athletes be athletes, mm-hmm. but I hate when dudes get passed up because their numbers don't fit the criteria of what these scouts are looking for. But when you put on the film, there's no denying that these dudes can play. You know what's really cool, though, is when someone completely jumps off the charts at the Combine and people think this is too good to be true, and then that player's good. And the Seahawks have had two of those guys with DK Metcalf mm-hmm. and Tariq Woolen, where people are like, these numbers are off the charts. Like, yeah. this person is so physically gifted, they must be a horrible player. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way. There's no way DK Metcalf is this big and fast and strong and also good at football. There's no way. It's it's a flawed process. It is. But I, I enjoy it at the same time. I do too. I'll hate it along with you. I'll, I'll love and hate it. Thank you. Second down. Chiefs head coach Andy Reid said he isn't interested in talking about whether the Chiefs are a dynasty, but I am, so should we consider them a dynasty? Why do we do this? Why do we, we try to force it? It's probably going to happen. The Chiefs are probably going to become a dynasty, but they haven't done enough yet. All right? They've been to, what, they won 52 games in the last four years. That's the most in the NFL. They've won nine playoff games in the last four years. That's the most in the NFL. They've been to five straight conference championships. They have a chance to win two Super Bowls in the last four years. If they win two, we can start talking about it. To me, you got to win at least three. And I look at dynasties, I go, these are dynasties. All right, you got the Patriots. Yes. From 01 to 04, they won three. From 2014 to 18, they won three. Dynasty. The Steelers, from 1974 to 79, they were 80-22-1. Six division titles. They were the first team to win four Super Bowls. Dynasty. You look at the Niners from 1981 to 84. First franchise to win five Super Bowls. Montana 4-0 in the Super Bowl. Dynasty. Those are dynasty. It's all about winning Super Bowls. I understand the attractiveness, and the Chiefs are probably going to become a dynasty. And Andy Reynolds, he goes, look, I got to do a bit more. I'm not worried about talking about if we're a dynasty or not. I got a game to win. Let's just stop doing this. Let them win two. We can talk about it. Three in five or six years, then we can start talking about dynasty. But they are on their way. I think what it is is we all decide a team to love at the same time. Like, we all decided that... um Brandon Staley was going to be this like amazing head coach mm-hmm. with the Chargers. And we don't know that he's not. The, the Chargers just didn't quite meet expectations. And uh, But there was this like, oh, we're in love with, you know, the way that he feels on uh, about going forward on fourth downs, which like I was. Like there's always like someone yeah. or something or a team that we decide to fall in love with. The Chiefs are understandably that team because Patrick Mahomes is a monster. I don't care if you think he's overrated. He's phenomenal. But you're right. He's got one Super Bowl. He's got one. One Super Bowl. All right, third down. Let's take an early look into the 2023 NFL season. What do you think will be mentioned as one of the best offenses? Or excuse me, who do you think will be mentioned as one of the best offenses in the NFL that may not 
be on our radar today. This got me going because this wide receiver said, put some respect on my name. I want more respect. I don't get mentioned with the best in the league when it comes to catching a rock. And that's good old Christian Kirk. I'm all right, Christian. You did reset the market when it comes to wide receivers. What you do this year? Because he had a quiet year. We look at his numbers, you go, okay, I see what he's talking about. 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. So now what does he have around him? Zay Jones finished the season on a high note. Young receiver, 823, five touchdowns. You still got Ingram over there at the tight end spot. He had 766 for four touchdowns. You got Etienne at the running back, 1125 Ooh. and five touchdowns. They don't forget Trevor Lawrence, who was a pro bowler this year. was an alternate, I believe, but he snuck in that thing. Don't matter. He had over 4,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, eight interceptions, completed 66% of his passes. They have the number 10 overall offense, the number 10 passing game in the 14th rush game in the league. I'm looking at these dudes and say if they stay healthy, if Doug Peterson continues to be the quarterback whisperer, if Trevor Lawrence continues to improve, if you find ways to protect them, the Jaguars are a sneaky team that we have to pay attention to. And thank you, Christian Kirk, for making me go do my research and put some respect on your name and the names of all the dudes I just mentioned. The Jags are coming for you. Fourth down. Joey Porter Jr. in a mock draft was a reminder that Father Time is whooping our you-know-what. Mm-hmm. What other names in college keep you humble? Man, I'm seeing these names and I go, I was just watching your daddy play like three <laughs> years ago. What's going on? Antonio Gates. That one kills me. Has a son at Michigan State. He's a wide receiver. He's a junior. Remember our guy, Chad Pennington? Pennington yeah. for the Jets? Yes. He's got a son going to Marshall. Good old Cole Pennington. Frank Gore, this one doesn't surprise me because Frank Gore played until he was 56. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, we, and we heard about Frank Gore something. Yeah, we heard about his son, Southern Miss running back. Then Marvin Harrison's son is tearing it up right now at Ohio State. He's going to get drafted soon. Baseball-wise, Jackson Holiday, you know his dad that, was? Oh, God, that number, one also. Number one pick overall. Yep. Man, and then you got Drew Jones, Andrew Jones' son. He was the number two pick overall. I'm seeing these names, and I'm saying, why? I'm not even 40 yet. I'm not even 40, but it makes sense because the guys that I watched growing up had me about six to eight years or something like that. Now their kids are growing up. You love to see it. Pedigree is for real. Genetics are real. But at the same time, you're watching these games, and you're like, I remember when I watched Antonio Gage catch footballs from Philip Rivers back see, in the day. I see it and I think like, wow, that's crazy. Babies having babies. And then I realize <laughs> and then I realize like, no, they had these kids in their twenties. Yeah. <laughs> like they this did. is like these are these athletes are not young athletes where it's like, wow, you have a kid? Like, I'm also of that age, too, where, like, uh, I'm not married and have a lot of single friends. So it'll be one of those things where it's like a friend has a kid and you're like, wow, that's you guys going to be OK. And then you're like, oh, never mind. They're fine. Right. <laughs> this is. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, sure. I guess that, that does make sense. All right. Coming up in the timeline, Terry Bradshaw spilled the beans on what was probably a private conversation with Sean Payton. But uh, we are having more fun uh, with what he said as a result. Also, a really cool exchange between Kareem and Shaq last night. Don't go anywhere. This is the timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. It is the timeline on Bump and Stacy reading you the top stories you're going to see and hear on your own timeline. What's happening in sports today? A little bit from yesterday, too. We'll start with this one. Terry Bradshaw 
no stranger to saying things other people probably wouldn't, revealed an off-the-record conversation with New Broncos head coach Sean Payton on Altitude Sports 92.5, in which the New Broncos head coach um, reportedly didn't want to work with one particular quarterback. And uh, we would talk, and he would talk and talk and talk. And was a, I'd say, well, you can't go to Charlotte. That's the NFC South. Uh, you can't go to Houston. They don't have a quarterback down there. You don't want to be in Houston. Uh, where else could he have gone? Where, where? Arizona. Arizona, no, nah, mm. nah, that quarterback. You don't want to work with that yeah. quarterback. But he'd rather work with Russ? Uh, I don't think so. But Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, you know what? That's all he's got. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's got no choice. But I'll tell you one thing. Yeah. He'll get the most out of him. Terry's laugh always makes me laugh. It's after he says something that he probably shouldn't. It's, <laughs> am I right? But also, uh, sounds very much like Sean Payton reportedly, according to Terry Bradshaw in this conversation, which, like, I'm going to guess it really happened, didn't want to work with Kyler Murray and was just kind of stuck with Russell Wilson. He had nowhere else to go. Why do you think he might not want to have worked with Kyler Murray? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Look at his face during a football game. That's enough right there. He wants a guy. He spent so much time with Drew Brees. You think about Drew Brees. He's a positive dude. Things go wrong. He's talking to his teammates on the sidelines. He's trying to figure out. He's troubleshooting the situation. You look at Kyler Murray. He ain't troubleshooting none. He's calling Geek Squad, and he's waiting at the house and waiting for them to show up and fix his whatever you got going on over there. I think, one, there's no denying the dude is talented. Also, can I mention that uh, Terry Bradshaw is 74. You turn 74, you say whatever the heck you want to say. You stop caring. At some point, it's like... You might not even wear pants that day. <laughs> it's like, I don't care. I'm 74. I've been in the game a long time. I'm going to say exactly what I want to say. And I appreciate um, him being so candid. But, I mean, Russell Wilson is a clear choice if you have to pick at this point. Even if it's true and Terry Bradshaw did not want to work with Russell Wilson, you want to work with a guy who's been a pro bowler. You want to work with a guy who has won a Super Bowl, who has shown that he can function in this league, just might need a little guidance. So it might not have been an ideal situation, but out of all the options that he had, Mm -hmm. that was the best one. Sticking with football here, Christian McCaffrey, 49ers running back, says that he feels the 49ers kind of got robbed in that title game. Uh, It's really tough. You know, it's, um, you know, you don't want to make excuses, obviously, but it it just sucks because we wish we had, you know, a healthy quarterback for a full game and just kind of see how the game would have panned out. Um, It's a really good team that we played, but it's just it feels like something got stolen from you, you know, and uh, just wish it would have would have played out differently. Wish we could have ran that one back. But hopefully they change that rule where you can carry a third quarterback. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I hope they do. But yeah, definitely still tough. I do think they should change the rule, as do you in the postseason. I am mm-hmm. of two minds, Bump. I think that Christian McCaffrey isn't wrong and that we all kind of feel like we didn't get the full experience that we were expecting from the NFC title game, given that the 49ers kind of had one hand behind their back. But it's not like the Eagles came in as a number six seed and surprised everyone. The Eagles were the most balanced and dominant team through much of the season and entered as a number one seed. I mean, I think there's a chance that you have a healthy Brock Purdy and still lose this game. There's a chance. And I understand where McCaffrey is coming from. He's saying, look, we didn't have our guy out there. We had one series with them. Johnson comes in. He gets concussed. Go back to Purdy. All he can throw is screens. He's right in the sense that the 49ers didn't give the Eagles their best shot. And we can sit here and speculate. We know that the Eagles had 70 sacks going into the season or going into the postseason, number one in the league. Um, We know that they have a good defense, a good offense. We can't sit here and say that the 49ers would have won this game. 
but you do feel as a consumer cheated that you didn't get to see. It's like you're watching a UFC fight and dude broke his hand 30 seconds into the fight. Now yeah. you know he can't throw that right. He's limited. He's not a grappler. He's not going to bring him to the ground. It's predictable what he's going to do. That's what the 49ers became to Philly. Bob Stelton, I hope you like that uh, MMA. But would that guy be saying yeah. I got robbed out of winning that fight? Or is that a bad look? It's a bad look, and he would say, I got robbed. Yeah, I guess I don't put it past any athlete to be like, I worked so hard to get to this moment, and through no fault of my own, we couldn't actually do it, and I fully yeah. believe we could have. Like, you, I believe we could have beaten that team. You imagine getting to that huddle, and you know how much that playbook has shrunk. Yes. You're like, we got eight plays we can run yep. right now. It's, it's, it's and I might rap. throw one of them. Exactly. <laughs> so I get them. It's, uh, it's not the greatest look if you are a competitor, but I completely understand where it's coming from. Next up in the timeline, let's go to LeBron's night last night. LeBron James didn't hold back in his speech after breaking Kareem's all-time scoring record. I just want to say I thank you so much because I wouldn't be me without y'all. All y'all help, all y'all passion, all y'all sacrifices helped me get to this point. And to the NBA, to Adam Silver, to the late, great David Stern, I thank you guys so much for allowing me to be a part of something I've always dreamed about. And... Um, I would never, ever, in a million years, uh, dreamt this even better than what it is tonight. So, man, thank you guys. That word was not bleeped during the live broadcast. <laughs> it was on cable. It was, it was on, on TNT. It was on TNT. I still think you probably can't say that. But, hey, it worked out. We've all said things in moments, whether you're behind a mic, whether you're delivering a speech. Like, who hasn't, when delivering a speech or talking about something, said a word or a phrase or a thing that you didn't mean to? There's some people, to, when we opened the show with LeBron, some people who were heated at him dropping the F-bomb. Really? Yeah, there were some people who were mad. And to That's them, I dumb. go, okay, maybe it's not the way you would express yourself. You have your your style of speech and your language. To me, I appreciate it because it just shows that he's a regular person. You know, I mean, not everyone drops F-bombs or whatnot. But someone asked us if we curse in our in our regular lives, yeah, all the time. You catch me anywhere, you might hear an F bomb or something. So that's just how he chose to express himself. And you know what? He's the highest scoring player in NBA history, right? He's feeling all these emotions and stuff. Um, so it is what it is. And I understand with the kids, people are like, Oh, I don't want my kid hearing that stuff. Trust me, if your kid goes They're to school, it. The stories I get from my son, they're hearing and seeing a lot more than you know. There's also a lot of emotion in sports. This was not at the end of the game, 10, 12, 15 minutes after the game ended. This was in the third quarter. In the mix. And game, the gameplay paused. And this was, what, a couple minutes yeah. after uh, that moment? So he's still in the moment. He's overcome with emotions. I don't know. I, I understand that people with young kids who are watching might feel differently. I just think that, like... This is uh, a moment where it's I don't see it as like some great, horrible transgression by LeBron. I see it as a very raw, emotional, unfiltered moment, clearly. And it happens. Yeah, I'm not mad at it. No, that's fine. Um, Related to this, though, there was a conversation I did love and something tells me other people will love it, too. So what you need to know for the backstory for this next story in the timeline uh, is that um, both Shaquille O'Neal and LeBron James 
are not like tight with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In fact, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is not especially tight with many of the young players uh, or, or I guess in the case of LeBron and Shaq, not young players, but like that generation of players. Um, so he's criticized LeBron before and he's tried to make it clear it's not personal, but he has been unfiltered with his own criticism of things that LeBron James has done. Um, meanwhile, Shaq on the record uh, a while ago said that um, he ran into Kareem uh, when he was earlier in his career and he felt like Kareem just had no real interest in like being a friend or having a relationship or a friendship with him. And so that drove him and inspired him to be like, well, now I have a chip on my shoulder kind of thing. So Kareem, I'm sure has heard the story. It's been out there. And at the end of this conversation, the interview has ended. Kareem takes a second afterwards to kind of make peace. And I want to, Hey, I want to tell Shaq, I asked you specifically this evening because you felt that I was uh, shaming you or, or ignoring you, and that would never be the case. And uh, you showed him what, what, what you were all about, the way you crushed all the centers in the league for a couple of years there. So uh, I'm on your side, Shaq. Don't ever let anybody tell you anything different. And listen, you not speaking to me was the best thing to happen in my career because all I wanted to do was impress you, sir. So I will talk to you soon, inshallah, and I love you very much. And I will never, ever have beef with the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You ain't got to worry about that. That's back at you. I love you, too. And All right, brother. I want you guys to keep on impressing the whole world with our game. It's a, yes. it's a wonderful game. Right. Yep. I'll talk to you soon, Cap. Thank okay. you, Captain. Bye, well. Cap. Look, you don't have to be best friends to have a mutual respect for each other. And I loved that he both said, like, hey, it was never personal that mm-hmm. I didn't have a friendship with you. Like, I never intended to ignore you or to make you feel that way. And for Shaq, he's like... You were such an idol to me that it fueled me to be better. Like I thought that was a really cool moment. Yeah, I thought it was cool too. And I think uh, we we we've, we've talked about this amongst ourselves, me, you, and, and Curtis, that Kareem came from a different era where mm-hmm. he wasn't accepted everywhere he went, and he had to have his guards up. Your stories about Bill Russell as well, not being yeah. the nicest, warmest yep. guy. Think about when they started playing basketball yep. and the things they had to do it. It shapes you as a person. Now, today you're almost required to be outgoing and love everybody and get along with everyone. That's not reality. So I think it was maybe just a little misunderstanding. I'm glad they squashed it to Laker greats um, making it cool on TV. That's what's up. Can I say a uh, personal note? Uh, going back to LeBron saying the swear word, I was thinking um, of a moment where someone said something they shouldn't have into a mic. And I was reminded of one of my really good friends uh, was the best man at a wedding. And I knew the bride and groom. And so we're all there. And he's giving a best man speech at the wedding in front of everyone. And he utters the line. uh, So I know that you guys will love each other forever or like unless you get divorced or something. (laughs) (laughs) At the wedding. That might be worse. I know. I love you guys forever until you get divorced. If that happens, who knows? It's an oh amazing moment. Uh, all right. We have not talked a lot uh, about the Seahawks yet, but we are about to. A contract for Geno Smith isn't the only decision Seattle needs to make. They also got one to make about Jordan Brooks. That's next. Bumping Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports Station. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. All right, we've been talking a lot about unrestricted free agents for the Seattle Seahawks. And the main one is obviously Geno Smith, a couple other guys we've touched on. So we've been talking about the salary cap. What free agents do you go get? Do you extend Geno? This is not about a soon-to-be free agent. This is about someone who is under contract for next year. 
Um, that being linebacker Jordan Brooks, why does this matter? Because the Seahawks are going to have to decide whether or not they want to pick up Jordan Brooks's fifth-year option. Um, this was brought up, Curtis, you brought this up in the sports pit earlier today, mentioning they'd already done it for Noah Fant, who is cheaper as a, a tight end, but um, that you said, is this something they should do? Because, like, what has Jordan Brooks meant for you? And I was thinking, Jordan Brooks is one of your best defensive players. Like, whatever your thoughts of Jordan Brooks are, it, he is one of your best defensive players on this team. Yeah, he Which, is. Yeah. Go ahead, Curtis. At $12 million, though, for a linebacker. I know, but I just, if you don't have Jordan Brooks, you have no linebackers. If you don't have Jordan Brooks, as of now, Things are going to change. They're going to pick up some dudes. I, I hope it's they pick up some point. dudes. Yeah. Uh, Cody Barton, Tanner Muse, uh, Ben Burkirvin, and throw some other random name in there that we're not familiar with. Are you okay with that side of the ball who needs the most help? You not signing or having a emergency plan for that position. You could have all the dogs you want on that defensive line. You know what they do? They occupy offensive linemen so your linebackers can make tackles. You need someone who's going to fly around. It's going to be hefty. Around $12 million, I saw as high as $13 million if you want to re-sign them. It's a hefty price, but you look at it and you go, can you afford not to? And I think that the Hawks are in a position where they have to sit down and think long and hard about this one right here. Well, and part of the reason why they got to think about it, the 253 makes a great point. They say, will he make it back 100%? Because I don't think he's going to start the season ready to go, yeah, no. considering no, he got no. hurt at the very end of the regular season. And being in a essentially a contract season, or at least playing for his immediate future in the NFL, it's not like he's not going to be anywhere after his fourth season in the NFL, or if they don't pick up his fifth-year option, like he's out of the league or anything, like there's going to be demand for him across the NFL. But there is a big risk in in guaranteeing that fifth year and not knowing what his production is going to be here in the 2023 season. I'm going to reiterate the cost that Curtis mentioned for that fifth year is 11.5 million. So 12 million bucks is is basically what it'll cost to exercise that fifth year option. If you do not exercise the fifth year option, then Jordan Brooks becomes an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. And kind of an extension of Curtis's point, if he doesn't play much this season, how competitive are his offers going to be from other teams? Maybe Seattle rolls the dice there. Consider this, though, these numbers uh, are, well, Mark Ross points this out in his own article about it, but these are just league stats on tackles uh, from the NFL. Uh, He had 183 tackles in 2021, which was second in the league, 161 in 2022, which was fourth. So he's been top five in tackling for two consecutive seasons. How much better does Jordan Brooks make your defense? That's the question I'm asking. I think he makes him a lot better. I think the way that he plays reminds Let me be careful the way I say this. He plays like a young linebacker, like what we used to see from Bobby. What do young linebackers play like? Downhill. Contact. Throw my face into the tackle. I'm not trying to run around some things. As you get older, you learn tricks, you diagnose things, and you're a bit more calculated with how you play. That's what we saw from Bobby later in his career, still making a bunch of tackles, a bit more calculated in how he approached contact. Jordan Brooks right now is going downhill. And there's one thing you need to be on defense, and that's violent. 
in one of the most violent positions in all of football is that linebacker spot. That's why these dudes lead the lead in tackles every single year because that is their job. There's a reason why they got these big old shoulder pads. Some got cowboy collars, face masks with all these different bars on it. You know a linebacker when you see one. They are paid to be violent and make tackles. Defensive linemen are paid to get after the quarterback and occupy your the uh, the offensive linemen. I look at Jordan Brooks and I go, that's the type of linebacker that I want. The way that he plays is the type that I want. So now they have a decision to make. You don't extend them, then what do you do with this draft? You better go in and get yourself an interior linebacker then if you don't plan on it, extending them. Or even if you do plan on it, you still need a backup plan. You have to draft a linebacker. Me personally, I'm business-wise, I'm using this situation as leverage. Hey, Jordan, the knee. We don't know what's going to happen with the knee. We want you here, but we also have to make sure that we can surround you with other pieces. You're relying on relationships right now. But eventually, I think Jordan Brooks, he's going to go out and get his. If there's a team that's going to offer him more money, he's going to take that and he's going to go. But um, do I want Jordan Brooks? Most definitely. Do I want him at $12 If I can get it down to... 9, 10, yeah. then for sure. want to stress that this is for 2024. Jordan Brooks is under contract for 2023, but the Seahawks have to make a decision before the season starts. So uh, the decision for whether or not you want to exercise that fifth-year option and just guarantee it, this is what we're paying you, this is your salary, comes up. Now, if you were Bobby Wagner, it would be a no-brainer. Like, say you're a first-round first pick, Bobby Wagner. It would be a no-brainer. Bobby wasn't, obviously, a second-rounder. Um because you'd think, well, in free agency, he's going to fetch in today's NFL, what, $18 million plus, right? $12 million. Mm-hmm. That's I'm saving $5 million by keeping this guy around and giving myself some more time to negotiate a different deal and move some stuff around with the salary cap. How much money can Jordan command is kind of the question that you're asking. Will he get less in free agency per year than the fifth-year option I'm going to exercise? How much do I want to commit to Jordan Brooks long-term? i got to be honest. Like I wish that we could see Jordan Brooks – in a defense where he has the option to not be the very best player. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would love to see Jordan Brooks with San Francisco, where all of their linebackers are phenomenal. You I don't would know. love to see him there? I would love to see him there. I would love to see Jordan Brooks. <laughs> That's um, scary. I would love to see Jordan Brooks. God, what's another defense where it's, like, not as dominant as San Francisco or Philadelphia, but, like, a solid defensive like Dallas? line. Yeah, like, just behind, like, some just some solid defensive linemen where – he gets to slow down and process a little bit or he just has to do less. Like I, I want to see what that looks like because Jordan Brooks also kind of has this, like it's an unfair comparison to say like Mike Cameron esque kind of thing going on mm-hmm. where like, I actually think he's good, a good player. He's just following up one of the best players. Yeah. He's following up one of the best players and he needs help up front. There's a texture that says, ah, I'm dive deeper. His TFLs. If you're worried about his TFLs, you're not worried about what's happening in front of him. Because he doesn't get TFLs unless he's sent on a lot of blitzes, which he's not. Mm -hmm. He's not sent on on a lot of blitzes. And he needs help up front to get those TFLs. And who leads the league in TFLs every single year is defensive linemen. So you can look at all the numbers you want to. I look at his style of play. I look at the violence he plays with. I look at his coverage. That's a linebacker I want. All right, so that's one player. There is another player, another decision that needs to be made this offseason, that one on Geno Smith. A question that is based on some sound we heard from Wyman the other day. What if Geno's asking price is actually way higher than we think? We'll play you this sound next.